Welcome to A Well-Cared-For Human, the podcast that tries to convince you that you are 100% normal and an even better than okay example of the human species, despite the fact that sometimes we feel like the craziest, most incapable, or worthless creatures on the face of this planet. I'm Corey, an author, a creative, and the host of the show. Whatever you're bringing to the table today, I hope this episode proves to be a dose of inspiration for you on your quest to become a well-cared-for human. You can find the episode show notes, your free wellness blueprint, and more at awellcaredforhuman.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello humans, it's your host Corey, and today we're going to talk about shadow work. Back when I pulled my newsletter about mental health topics they wanted to hear more about, shadow work was right up there. Interestingly enough, almost the same number of people admitted that they had no idea what shadow work even was. This makes sense because I certainly heard about shadow work long before I decided to check it out for myself. I'd hear things like, shadow work is essential to healing trauma, or you can't fully heal unless you do your shadow work. And so I got curious, and I was like, what is this shadow work you speak of? And the internet, doing what the internet does best, really only provided me with conflicting resources on the subject. This might be because the word shadow work is often used in two different contexts, in a psychological context and in a spiritual context. In the psychological context, we get the term shadow from Carl Jung, Jung was a Swiss psychologist and a psychiatrist who died in about 1960-1961, so he's relatively modern. He's no Aristotle. And if you've ever heard of introverted and extroverted personality types, archetypes, the collective unconscious, these were all ideas introduced by Carl Jung. So he did some stuff with his life. And according to Jung, the shadow is our unknown dark side. The shadow includes all the pieces of our personalities that we've repressed or rejected for one reason or another. How much we've repressed or rejected will determine how much power our shadows have over our lives. And just to be clear here, he did not view the shadow as evil or as a malevolent force. In fact, he argues that many traits, both positive and negative, could be gained from connecting with our shadows and by working with the shadow to integrate its wisdom. And if we do that, if we can strengthen its positive qualities while weakening or balancing the negative aspects, we'll regain some of the talents and abilities that we lost when we repressed aspects of ourselves. Now, in the spiritual context, it's almost the same, but instead of limiting the source of the shadow to negative experiences from this lifetime, a more woo person might believe that it stretches beyond the physical. If you believe in reincarnation, for example, you might believe that you started developing your shadow 10, 20, or 100 lifetimes ago, and the condition that your shadow is in and how well you resolve those issues carries over from lifetime to lifetime. Also, a spiritual view might be that instead of just healing your mind, what you're actually healing are parts of your splintered soul. You're befriending your inner demons. So it really just depends on what you believe, whether you take a psychological view or a spiritual one. Regardless, the objective of shadow work is to look at those repressed, rejected traits, anything you've disowned about yourself, and reclaim them. By looking at them, by processing them, by integrating them, then we can heal ourselves. Shadow work is, at its core, a tool to process and heal trauma. 
Because if we don't befriend our shadows, if we don't get acquainted with their antics, they will continue to affect and rule our lives. In my case, a lot of my shadow work involves working with fear. Fear is a core aspect of my shadow. Some people have a lot of self-loathing in their shadows, anger, arrogance. Me, I've got fear as a major player. And when my shadow remained mostly unseen, when I never shined light on it, when I never acknowledged its presence, its voice, when I criticized myself rather than embracing this part of me, this part of my human experience, then my fears got bigger and bigger and my shadow got stronger and stronger and the problem with feeding the shadow and letting it go unchecked is that if I don't keep an eye on my shadow or notice when it walks through the door, my fear is going to run me around. It will affect the decisions I make, it will affect where I go, what I do, my shadow, my fear will be calling the shots. And that's a problem because it might be keeping me from doing things I want to do, from forming healthy connections that I want to form. So it's better if I can find a way to love and embrace my shadow, to have it over for dinner on Sundays maybe, but we do not want it to be driving the car. So if the objective of shadow work is to see the shadow, to shine light on the shadow so that it diminishes and has less control over us, how do we do that? How do we see the shadow? Its very name suggests that it's opaque, right? It's hard to see. So how do we get in there and find the rejected, repressed parts of ourselves that we've quite possibly stuffed down pretty deep? Well, here are a few ways that helped me. First of all, I started to pay attention to my projections. My first introduction to projections was through my father, the narcissist, because grandiose narcissists project constantly all the time, all over the place, projections for you, projections for me, projections for everyone. And so for that reason, he was a wonderful source of wisdom in my education around projections. But if you aren't familiar with projections, with the term projections, what do I mean when I say pay attention to your projections? Well, first of all, seeing projections requires a certain level of awareness. You have to notice when you're reacting strongly to something. If you're getting caught up in something, if you're accusing someone of something, in all of these cases, there's a strong possibility that you might be projecting. Whatever I don't like about people, usually that trait is somewhere in my shadow. And why I don't like it is because that is a rejected piece of me. I'm seeing a rejected piece of myself reflected back in the traits or actions or thoughts of others. I wouldn't be bothered by that trait in someone if it didn't exist in my shadow. Because what bothers us most are the qualities lurking in ourselves. And when we see them out in the world, there's some low-key panic there. So paying attention to what triggers you emotionally will help you get at your projections. Any kind of strong emotional trigger usually shows me where an unhealed wound is. So for example, I get really worked up by injustice, by unfairness, when I see it in my personal life or in the news, anywhere, and I just get upset. And that's a clear indication that I have a wound around injustice. Somewhere in my past, in some emotion, some experience, some part of me, I experienced injustice and I have not yet processed and acknowledged that injustice. Maybe I was treated unfairly or maybe someone I love was treated unfairly, whatever it was, it hasn't been processed and so that's why it's still an emotional trigger. So if I go around accusing someone, oh, that's so unfair, you know, that was so unjust, why are you like that? I'm reacting to something in my shadow. 
Apart from looking at these projections, at questioning what we accuse others of doing, at looking at our strong emotional triggers, another way to get at your shadow is to look at the patterns that play out in your life. Is there something that you keep doing? Is there something that keeps happening to you over and over again? If there is a cycle that replays itself, chances are there is some shadow involvement. My first few serious relationships followed a pattern. I would fall very hard for someone, I would try to rescue them, and of course this did not work, this never worked. And they would push me away, or they would leave me or cheat on me, and then we would break up, and I would have to go find someone else in order to do this with all over again. And that pattern didn't stop, that cycle didn't end, until I did my shadow work processing my codependency, until I started looking at the abandonment issues in my shadow, because I would continue to do these cycles in order to experience these unrealized parts of my shadow. So where in your life do you have a repeating cycle that you would like to change? Take a closer look at that. It could be around anything. It could be around your relationship patterns. It could be with your relationship with money. It could be your living situation. You'll just have to take a closer look at the things that you feel like are repeating themes or issues in your life. And if looking at emotional triggers, projections, or patterns don't work for you, or they do, but you want something more, you can also try journaling. Of course, you know I love journaling. There are about a million journaling prompts on the internet for shadow work. If you just searched shadow work prompts or 30 days shadow work journal exercises, however you want to put that in, you will find tons of stuff. And you'll probably notice a trend or a theme along the questions because all of it is pretty much a childhood review. Looking at childhood experiences, high emotional moments in order to discern where your shadow was born, how and why it came into being, and what you're working with, what issues it created, at what moment your mind, your psyche was splintered, where those wounds are. And so you can mine your childhood for all of these possibilities of things that you might need to work with, or just traumatic experiences in general. It doesn't have to be in childhood. Maybe you've got some shadow work around something that happened to you more recently. And to get you started, here are a few questions that I've asked myself that I have journaled about that shined some light on my personal stuck points. I've asked myself, did I always feel accepted? And if not, then when did I not feel accepted? What were the moments in my life where I didn't feel loved, I didn't feel wanted, I didn't feel like I could be myself? And what kind of pain did that rejection create in me. I've also asked myself, what did my caregivers expect from me? Because we learn repression and rejection from the adults around us. My father always telling me not to cry, not to be so emotional, Corey, you have too many feelings. If you don't get that under control, you're going to be just like your crazy mother. And so I had a shadow born in that moment. You know, my emotions had to be repressed. I had to stuff that down because my emotions were not acceptable. They weren't allowed. They were going to lead to insanity. Bad things were happen if I had these feelings. And so I had to do some shadow work around giving myself permission to feel my feelings, to have emotions, to essentially be human because I wasn't allowed to do that in the past. You could also ask yourself what was expected of me. Because judgments, feeling judged or assessed in any way can trigger repression, can trigger this emotional splintering. You could ask yourself, I felt judged when, 
and then fill in the blank. You know, explore those moments where you felt like you were being judged by someone, either because of who you were or something that you did. Feeling judged is really hurtful, and it's very possible that you could have tucked a piece of yourself away into your shadow in order to not be judged by others, in order to not let others see that piece of you, in order to protect that piece of yourself. And a similar question is, I don't like blank because blank. And this is just another attempt at figuring out what we reject about ourselves. And this can include physical attributes. So for example, I don't like my bowed legs because a boy at camp made fun of me, right? That's a shadow birth moment. And it could also include things that you judge about your personality, like I hate that I'm not rich because when I visit my friends, I feel like a loser. So just I don't like this because of this. It might also help you to make a list of your fears. I don't want to get into too many of my fears <laughs> here, but like I'm afraid of crocodiles, alligators, you know, the way they just pop up out of the water and will eat a whole cheetah, you know, that's terrifying. Poverty, losing my teeth, dark, deep water that I can't see into, probably because of the crocodiles getting eaten alive thing. Uh, making a fool of myself in front of other people, public humiliation of any kind. A list like this is ripe for shadow work, for deeper exploration of your experiences, of things that might have happened, places where you might be rejecting or repressing yourself. So make a list of your fears and look at that list and figure out if there are any hidden traits in there that you could look at more closely, that you could bring to light. The goal of all of this, thinking and processing and journaling and exploring our experiences, the goal of shadow work is integration. Writing and producing Who Killed My Mother, my podcast, was at its heart a shadow work project. And what I got out of it by doing that, by sharing that story, by arranging everything that had happened to me, happened between us into a cohesive narrative, it allowed me to integrate that experience I gained a better understanding of what had happened, of her, of our relationship, and that understanding removed the hurt that had been left between us before her death. And that's essentially the same sort of experience you're looking for when you do shadow work. You're looking to understand what happened, to rewrite the narrative, and to find peace and resolution, and to reclaim those splintered, rejected pieces of you so that you can feel more whole, so that you can feel more at peace. You know, and to be fair, that's kind of why it's hard to do shadow work. It's why a lot of people don't necessarily love it. There's probably a reason why you repressed or rejected pieces of yourself. And to go back and look at that pain doesn't always feel awesome. But I would say, and that's, this is just my opinion, that it's totally worth it because of how much you gain by doing that integration work. Just the peace and the strength and the self-confidence. Like, I, I would not go back and not do that story that podcast just because it was difficult and like there was just so much that I gained from that that there's no way I would take it back so I hope it's clearer to you what shadow work is and why you might want to do it and how to start getting better acquainted with your shadow how to see your shadow better but before I wrap up I also want to give you a few more tips that might help you to avoid some shadow work pitfalls First of all, take it slow. Your goal in the shadow exploration is not to re-traumatize yourself. This is not a whoever finishes first wins thing. You do not need to process 10, 20, 30 years of trauma in a weekend of meditation and journaling. Don't do that to yourself. Go easy, be easy, and if you're working on something and you feel strong emotions come up, don't feed those emotions. Don't indulge them. Don't believe anything it says about you. 
your shadow might have been growing and becoming more and more powerful, you know, in the back of your psyche for most of your life. And so it's going to feel like a big scary force when you first confront it. It's going to feel like it has a lot of power. It's going to say things about you that you're going to feel like, oh my gosh, yeah, that must be true because it's it's had you under its thumb this whole time. Pima Children, you know, I like her work. She has a story about how she was struggling with strong emotions for weeks, even after 20-something years of meditation of being a Buddhist nun full-time. She still has to work with these things. And she has a lot of tricks up her sleeve for moments like this. But for whatever reason, this particular time, nothing was working for her. She could not escape her anger, depression. I don't remember what the emotion was, but she could not escape it. And so she goes to her teacher, and he's like, Oh, that's Dakini Bliss, which Dakini Bliss is a good thing. It's something you would want to experience as a Buddhist nun. And so now she's super excited and she wants to go practice with it. She rushes back to her cushion. And of course, you probably know where this is going. As soon as she sits down to do it, the emotion is gone. It's completely evaporated. Her just getting curious, her getting interested in what was going on was enough to make the emotion dissolve. So what I'm saying is you don't have to come at the shadow work with a heavy-handed, you know, battle axe in hand approach here. You can be light. You can be curious. If you're experiencing something like depression or anxiety or scared, you know, invite those feelings in. What I say to myself a lot of the times is, please stay as long as you like to teach me what you can about myself. So if I'm feeling really depressed one day, for example, I will say to my depression, Please stay as long as you like to teach me what you can about myself. And just this leaning in, just this acceptance of the emotion usually makes it much more workable. It's a lot easier to deal with and it starts dissolving. And that's essentially what shadow work is. We're leaning in, we're shining the light, we're inviting in these dark parts of ourselves. We do not want to fight with the shadow. The more love and compassion and self-acceptance you can show your shadow, the more you will integrate with it, the more you will heal your connection to it. Your shadow was born from rejection, from repression. So rejecting it more is not going to fix your problems. That's how you feed it. So if the shadow shows up as strong emotion, try not to reject the emotions. Don't criticize them. Pay attention to how you're talking to yourself. Don't let your inner critic run amok. You could also do Tonglin with the emotion to really aerate it. You can revisit the meditation episode, episode 2 again, for the Tonglin instructions that I provided there, or just Google it. You can journal, of course. Whatever you can do to get curious, to move closer, to accept these pieces of yourself, just do that. And lastly, don't forget that there are gifts and talents hidden in your shadow when you've splintered yourself, when you rejected and repressed a part of yourself in order to survive the pain, you threw away some of your positive qualities, some of your gifts, some of your talents, some of your wisdom. So there is so much potential and power hidden in your shadow. And by doing the shadow work, you can go in there and you can get it back. Okay, so that's it for this week. As always, I hope you found something useful. And I will be back next week with a lighter episode. I feel like we've been doing really heavy stuff with all this talk about boundaries and codependency and shadow work stuff. And while they are all amazing ways to clear out our emotional and mental junk, I do think we could also use a break. So until then, take good care of you. This episode of A Well-Cared-For Human was written and produced by me, Corey Marie. The music was by Late Night Feeler and Esther Abrami. 
If you like what I'm doing here, please consider visiting my Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get early ad-free access to the episodes, as well as a monthly patrons-only Q&A, bonus videos, and more. Not to mention that your Patreon support lets me know that you find value in the show and want it to continue. You can find me on Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Marie. If you can't support the show financially, that is okay. You can still subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, and recommend the show to your friends, not just the neurotic ones. All of this helps so much. And as always, thank you for listening.